to everyone this evening. If you're a guest this evening, we welcome you tonight. If you're watching us online, we welcome you as a part of our service this evening. Amen. Tonight is going to be uh, part two of the importance of the Christian family. And so uh, we're going to sing one more course and then uh, move along remainder of the evening. keyboard I don't son-in-law points so by the way Jalen can cook <laughs> y'all I should know better and then also I do want to apologize once again I like you're wearing green tonight Esther it's so cute green is a great color on you um wow everybody's inspired look at all the grow t-shirts nice um yeah, so I'd like to do a Real Colors seminar for those of you who have not done it yet, so I want to do that here in the next couple of months, but 
not to give too much away, but if you're a green and I offended you last week, I do apologize. I love the fact that you love to research, and I wish I could. Is that better? Okay, maybe I like the fact that you love to research, and I wish I could be a better researcher. Anyway, so I... Uh, and then for those of you that know it too, and knowing that I've got a little hint of orange, it's why I said such a crazy statement, because I have no filter. Okay. So, not an excuse though, right? Brother Barr, I teach that from one orange to another. All right. So, you can be seated. I'm sorry, I forgot about that part. <laughs> you can be seated, but don't sit down on me, right? Not what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> All right. So, to recap from last week, I'm going to do that very quickly, but let's do a little recap. Sometimes we learn better when we have some repetition, we can remember and recall and all those good things. I know, that's why we take tests. <sighs> Said the teacher in the back, amen. Said none of the children, amen. <laughs> um to recap, we learned about the different types or structures of families being, let's see, who can remember them? Julian's over here like, mm-hmm, you remember them? Oh, I heard nuclear, your name's not Julian, but um, <laughs> anybody who wants to yell it out? Single parent, grandparent family, empty nesters, extended or blended, that's kind of step families, yes, blended. Did we just hit them all? Single, yeah, we did. And and then some t um, some single by choice, uh, you know, living alone by choice. Um, or from circumstance, divorce, uh, death, etc. And childless, thank you, thank you. That was here too. All right, so that was the different types, structures of families that we learned about. I did mention, I did want to reiterate the original definition of a nuclear family. I want to make sure everyone is clear on our position on the definition of a nuclear family. Man, you didn't sit down on me. I love it. Thank you, Brother Barr. Our definition that we stand firm on and we are proud of, that is two married parents of opposite genders and their biological or adopted children living in the same residence. Super simple, right? You would think. You would think. All right, so Pastor also talked about the family being established from the very beginning, um, even before the what? The church. The family was established before the church was established. Strong families create strong churches. Strong families create a strong society, I mean, wow. The enemy has come against the family from the beginning of time. He talked a lot about that, and that was very powerful because he knows the consequences of families that fall apart. All right? And then we ended with Ephesians 5 and 31 talking about for this cause, should a man leave his father and mother, be joined unto his wife. What is that cause? The spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of showing how that our relationships with one another can model the relationship that Christ has with the church. When you're modeling that, that can win someone because they realize, oh, that's how much Jesus loves me. 
and that's a powerful thing. So I do want to reiterate once again, I just feel compelled to say it, um, that if our material causes some frustration or anger or sadness, possibly even some grief, um, I understand that this is not a book that you elected to read. I understand you didn't go on CBD.com. CBD? <laughs> Christian Book Distributors. I'm going to be clear on that. Okay. I believe the website is ChristianBook.com, and CBD stands for Christian Book Distributors. Wow. All right. That was amazing. All right. I realize you didn't check it out and, and you know, order a book about the Christian family. And I'm going to read this book. And therefore, if you get mad at that book, you can throw it away. We have asked for you to be a part of this class as a part of the discipleship here at Antioch Central. Why? Because... Because we feel that strongly that it is a critical component of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely critical. If you cannot capture and understand, young men, you've got to understand the importance of family. You've got to do it if you want to be a good disciple. That's for all of us, but I'm kind of calling out the young people here and there because I want them paying attention. This is super important. This isn't just, you know, a parenting class or this isn't a marriage class and y'all are checked out and like, I don't know what that's all about. And yep, thank God my parents are here because they need it. Right, Declan? I don't know. I, I called you out again last week. Man, it's this front row group. It's sad though because all those $100 bills on this front row, they're just going to waste. I'm going to have to take them back home with me, but that front row seats, they're the really good seats. So, I, you know, sorry. If you go on that side, you can get the $100 bill. All right, so maybe next week we'll encourage you to sit up front. There's Brother Kevin. He's really glad you're here in this class, Brother Kevin. All right, I'm going to stop joking around now. <laughs> We're going to get down to business. If you, who is laughing so loud? Was, are, are you I don't even want to know, Brother Isaac. We know it's him laughing anyway. So we understand that we have asked you to take this class and participate in it. We understand this is a painful topic for a lot of people. We understand that. I understand that sometimes just listening to what a great family is like or hearing somebody talk about their great family can often send you away feeling very sad or grieved because you were not raised in such a home, or you did not have a mother or father that way, or, you know, sibling relationships, or, you know, all of those things. Um, I realize it can cause sadness or grief because you're thinking of shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Like, if I could just go back in time, if I could just go back 20 years, I would redo this or redo that, or I would... You know, and you want to relive things. You want to redo things. But guess what? We can't do any of those things. And I just want to encourage you tonight. Not encourage. Well, yeah. Hopefully you'll take it as an encouragement. I think of it, at that, of it that way. 
if this information feels condemning to you, that's not God. God does not condemn. He's, he convicts. So if you hear something, you need to, dis, to distinguish the difference. If you're hearing something and you're a parent of multiple children at home, you're probably being convicted about something like, ooh, I need to start doing that. That would be good. I need to pray about that. We need to, you know, I need to talk to my spouse. We need to start doing that. You pray about that. But if you're hearing things like, man, I should have done that, and then you just start beating yourself up, that's not God. Because we can't go back in time. We can't relive. We don't. There's no time travel. There's no space machine, whatever, that's going to get us back in time. We can't redo. We can't undo any of those things. It's under the blood. You have to, if there's things you need to repent for, then repent. Move on. It's under the blood. And you can't go back. But you might hear things that even if you have adult children, even if you have a great relationship with your adult children, even if your adult children have strayed from the truth or whatever the circumstance, I could not possibly list for you all the circumstances in this room. Whatever they are, I assure you there's probably something you can learn that will help you to move forward, that will help you from this day moving forward. So that is our hope. It could be your relationship with your elderly parents. It could be any number of things. But it is our desire that you hear things. That we want the young people that have yet to get married and start a family, we want them to see and modeled what a Christian family is like. But then for those of you in that other category where you can't go back, you can only go forward, I, I hope you can glean some things that will help you along the way. All right? Or if you're in ministry, which we all are, um, this will give you some things to talk with folks about and to encourage folks. You might end up with a situation where somebody needs some counseling and you're like, uh, and you got it, you know, well, hopefully this class is going to help you in that moment, you know, and you can think, well, this is what you should be doing in your home. This is, this is important. So some of those things. So let's just be thinking with that open mind, open spirit. So we want to start off tonight with the characteristics of a godly home. Um, pastor and I purposely have titled it this, um, just to say the characteristics of a godly home so that we can be a little more all-encompassing from all the different circumstances uh, presented to us in this room. Um, especially if you don't have anyone living with you, you still have a home. I'm pretty sure if you're homeless tonight, please come see me and we will help you. I mean that sincerely, but I'm pretty sure everybody, I, I know pretty much everybody in this room has a home. So even if you live alone, you have a home and that home needs to be a godly home. It needs to be a Christ-centered home to the best of our ability. I know we're not perfect. I'm going to say that a million and one times. We are not perfect, but we are trying. We're striving, and we are trying to head that right direction that Pastor preached about a couple weeks ago. So with our families and in our home, we're trying to go that right direction. So no matter what your current family structure season you're in, we should maintain our Christ-centered home. Um, think about this, perhaps, just so that your adult children can come back and visit you because that's the place that's consistent in their life. 
because that was the place of constancy of they can always count on mom's going to have worship music playing or, you know, dad's over there with his stack of Christian books that he's working on right now. And, you know, just those little things you can think about, like just in case your adult children that need to come back home, they know what to expect. There's something really safe and secure about knowing what to expect. You know, when I was, um, well, goodness, my parents divorced when I was eight. So at some point there between probably when they started really fighting, probably about age five all the way to age 15 um, or so was like a lot of tumultuous years for me. And my grandmother on my dad's side, she lived in Bowie, and she just was a middle-class grandma. They weren't anything special, nothing special about their home necessarily, except that for me, in a crazy life of ups and downs and going to moms and going to dads and doing all the crazy things, it was the same every time. It was great. The same crazy 60s wallpaper, you know, like the same thing every family meal. The kids' table was in the kitchen and the adults' table was in the dining room. To this day, I never ate dinner at the adult table in the dining room. I mean, even as a young adult, I still ate the kids' table in the kitchen. Um, so, but there was something about it. Grandma's going to have cantaloupe out at every meal. I don't know. I, maybe it was just the summer. She's literally going to put the toaster in the middle of the kitchen table and have like five jams out. I guess she had an extension cord. I don't know. We made our toast on the middle of the table, and we picked a jam, and it was just so much fun. But it was something that, like, years later, I look back on that, and it's like I felt so safe there. I felt so, like, it was so refreshing to go there and just, Grandma's going to have basketball on. I assure you, if it's winter, there's going to be basketball. If it's summer, it's going to be baseball didn't even know anything about those sports, but I sat there with her and watched them just because I felt safe there. I wanted to sit there and just be with my grandmother. So there's something about safety in a home that is so important about the sameness, to be honest with you, um, that sometimes we take for granted. We don't really realize till years later and we go, wow, that was actually really important for me. That was a part of I knew what to expect. I knew what to expect at a holiday, holiday traditions, things like that. They're really important because it causes a child to feel very safe in knowing what to expect. Um, so these are just a few things I just wanted to mention um, about a godly home. So I'm going to kind of dig into this a little bit more. Um, one of the hallmarks of a Christian family and why a Christian family is so important one of the hallmarks is, in fact, a godly home. All right? So let's look at a few of these characteristics. Love, grace, and peace abound. That should be what is abounding. I love that word. Abounding. It just sounds big and fluffy. Um, so it does. See, you got this. Love is given freely, even if it's not reciprocated. Because that's what love does. Grace is shown for mistakes and failures. It's very important. 
Why? Because I have been given so much grace and mercy from my heavenly father. It is so important to instill that in our children. Peace. Contention and strife are not encouraged. Did you say encouraged? What parent alive encourages that? Let me tell you, I have seen parents antagonize their children. And it produces contention and strife between the siblings. So peace is cultivated in a home. Peace is something that you you actually work on having peace in your home. That sounds kind of, you know, like contradictory, but it's not. All right. Um, so contention and strife shouldn't even be tolerated. Number two, reverence or fear of God as a part of a godly home where God is honored in all things. God is honored in what we listen to. God is honored in what we watch, what we do, all of those things. If you can say God is honored in that, then you can probably be pretty assured that you have a godly home. So you might want to ask yourself some questions. Are the things that I'm displaying in my home godly? Are they honoring God? Are the pictures or stuff on my shelves or walls or what have you? I don't know, young people, your posters, whatever's cool. Are posters still cool? Yeah, posters cool? No, yeah, no, Chris. Eh, eh. I, I don't know. They, they don't even know. I don't, I don't. Okay, let's try the girl side. Are posters cool? They don't know either. I'm thinking they're not. I don't know. Okay, I do know that Nathaniel made some cool posters last year for B2SR. Those were cool. Y'all spent a lot of money on those posters. That was amazing. And you, wow, Eric, really? <laughs> I don't even have it anymore. That's okay. All we wanted was your money. We didn't care. About it's all good. So, <laughs> Nathaniel, I'm so sorry, honey, if you're watching. Um, so, is God being honored in all things in our home, in our daily activities, et cetera, et cetera? You can name it. Um, if your home feels safe or secure, I already mentioned that, but I want to go into a little bit more detail Based on something I read recently, and I just, man, this really spoke to me, and I just thought this was too awesome to not share. Now, here's my disclaimer. Sister Angie always has disclaimers about what I share, because I have not, I don't know who the holistic psychologist is. I can't even remember her name off the top of my head. She's about to put out a book. I don't even remember the name of the book. Yep, that's how great this is. But she has an Instagram page. Most of her stuff is good. Most. As with any psychologist, I use great caution because there's a lot of secular, um, humanistic approaches to psychology that I am very careful to stay away from. So if you go look up the holistic psychologist, I don't think she's Christian. I have not officially seen anything Christian on her page but she's also not, like, not Christian, <laughs> so if that makes any sense. Like, I think she tries to stay sort of neutral, and that's probably why she has so many followers. Um, so anyway, um, but this was really good, how to know that your home is safe. 
So as I go through this, you're going to be thinking about multiple things. Think it, you're going to be thinking about the home you grew up in, and then you're going to think about your current home, and then you'll probably start thinking about even some of your future, all right? Some of you young people might be thinking like, oh, that's a good point. Like, I don't have that right now, but I really want to implement that in the future in my home. So just, you know, you, you'll see what I mean. All right, here's what a safe home looks like. When adults hurt you or lose control of their emotions, they take responsibility and apologize. This is how we learn accountability and repair in relationships. I am trying very hard not to use a lot of personal references, but I had to do a whole lot of course correcting early on in our parenting because I came from a really bad home life, etc. Not that that's an excuse, and I am proof that it's not an excuse and that you can change and that you can do things differently than the way that you were taught. But it took me a lot of years to realize that and to let the Lord do that in me. And I found myself on a consistent basis apologizing to even my two-year-old for losing my cool. So you might think this is super crazy, but when I read that, like, I don't know. I never felt like somebody told me that or I read that somewhere. I just felt like that's what the Lord told me to do because I just thought this is a, this is a human being. This is like I wouldn't have just flown off at an adult like this. This is a little miniature adult. Like that's the way I just try to think about it, this little miniature adult. And I mean, like if I've flown off, at my sister even like that she probably smacked me in the face like I would have deserved it you know what I'm saying like so I got to thinking about it that way and I thought what would the Lord have me to do if I am that crazy or that mean to my child I need to apologize that's the right thing to do so it's really funny when I read that I was just like oh wow so I don't know hopefully that was something I did right in my parenting yay um, but I want to encourage you. So you may not have never have experienced that, but I believe that that is very important that when an adult hurts you or loses control of their emotions, that they take responsibility and they apologize to you. All right. Number two, you were not parentified or made to do adult things as a child. Your parents were aware of your emotional limits. Parentification looks like this. Telling a child about marital issues. It's a really big one. I won't try to stay on too many of these. But that's a really big one. And you might be like, didn't tell your five-year-old, but you may be dumping on your 15-year-old. They cannot handle your marital issues. And it's not even their business. All right? Having a child, honestly, trust me, your children know there's marital issues. <laughs> they know just from watching. They don't need to be told. But sometimes, rather, the opposite of that would be, how about assure your child that mom and dad are having a rough spell right now, but it's going to be okay. We're not going anywhere. We're here for the long haul. And sometimes we need to get help. And we're going to get help so that everything will be okay. That's actually even a better step to take. But parentification, that's what that looks like, telling your child about marital issues. Having a child be a caretaker 
of a sibling or having a child be a caretaker of mom or dad. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, like me, occasional migraine where I need some help. That's not, that's my children are not caretakers. Just want to be clear. <laughs> but they can be helpers. A helper is not the same thing. But this can be very damaging. Um, a child that has to constantly take care of an alcoholic parent, that's, that's a situation. Or, um, you know, just things like that. Of the, the younger siblings, and this isn't just there again. It's not like a one-time thing where it's just like, can you just watch him real quick while I, you know, run and do this? It's a constant dumping the responsibility of the older child um, onto the older child for the younger child. Using a child as a pawn or to control your partner. I was definitely that child um, with my mother would use us all the time against my father. So things like that. Again, we're talking about the way to have a safe and secure home. All right. Number three, adults asked you about how you felt, what you thought. So it's very important to ask someone how they feel or what they think. Or if you know your child's color, <laughs> depending on their color, you ask them the question appropriately. If they're green or gold, you might ask them how they, what they think. And if they're blue or orange, you might ask them how they feel. Just a, just a thought. But not always. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. But sometimes a child can express it um, better depending on how they're asked. So if you were in a safe, secure home, an adult was asking you how you felt or what you thought, and they validated your emotional experiences regularly. All right, number four. In a safe, secure home, there is healthy communication that is being taught, and emotional manipulation is not used. You were safe to say what you felt. Emotional manipulation looks like this, giving the silent treatment, rage cycles, guilting, shaming, blaming, making children responsible for adult emotions and issues. That is not the job of a child. I want to encourage you, too, if you have adult children, I want to encourage the parents of adult children, find somebody else, find a, a best friend to talk to, and, and I don't even encourage you to dump any of your stuff onto your adult children. How many of you still have the experience where you, like, still feel like a kid sometimes with your parents, you know? Like, I mean, I feel like right to this day, like as an adult, when I would go back to my grandmother's house, it actually, my aunt had bought the house. But like, even as an adult, I went back into that house and like, I naturally like felt like a kid again. But I still have that experience multiple times with my parents, um, with my dad and stepmom, just where I don't, I just still feel like a kid. Like, it's weird. I, it doesn't go away. Well, guess what? Same thing with your adult children. So I want to en encourage you to, to find yourself a peer or a mentor or someone above you that you can dump on and maybe don't dump your stuff on your adult children. Because more than likely, they need you still. Even if they don't realize it, they probably still need you. But you don't need to need them. It just doesn't, it, it, you, it just doesn't really work that way. So... Just trying to kind of help you 
to understand how to do that healthy transition. Doesn't mean every now and then we just need a friend to talk to, and our kids are good friends sometimes. When you told an adult that something happened, they believed you. They did not gaslight you or deny your reality. This is how we learn to trust ourselves. This is very interesting, and if you've ever heard the term gaslight, you may have heard it in a really extreme circumstance where somebody is made to feel like they're crazy. But believe it or not, it's actually something that happens on a regular basis and often in our homes. Quick definition of the term gaslight is to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. So, gaslighting happens when an abuser tries to control a victim by twisting their sense of reality. An example of gaslighting would be a partner doing something abusive and then denying it happened. All right, so when someone denies it, you know, when you're like, I know that happened, I know that happened, and before you know it, it makes you feel like you're crazy. All right, but it happens in other ways in family life. Also, gaslighters, um, sorry, an example of gaslighting, oh, I already said that, sorry. Gaslighters may also convince their victims, and I say their victims, to be honest with you, people do this every day, all the time in family life. So where I'm going to take out the word victim, because that sounds so harsh to me. Because honestly, we do this to each other, and we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. But this makes the other person feel like they're mentally unfit or they're too sensitive. Gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse in relationships. It happens when one person convinces another person that they're remembering things wrong and that they're misinterpreting the events. All right? So when you break it down to that level, you can realize how we've do, we do these things in our relationships. Kind of what I consider the opposite of, like, denying a child's reality or gaslighting them would be overreacting. So this takes the emotions to the opposite extreme where you've got someone overreacting, over-dramatizing what has actually happened. And that is, you know, so if a person is opening up or confessing something to you, if your child is confessing something to you, or they're just relaying a story. I'll never forget one time I picked Timothy up from somewhere and I knew he was in a terrible circumstance, so I rushed to, to get him from this situation. And, and I was driving home with him. We had like a four-hour drive. And I just, he was in the back seat, and I just am driving. And I said, so tell me what happened. And he started telling me, and I cannot even explain to you how happy I was that he could not see my face because I am reacting all over my face while I'm driving, but I, I'm completely silent to him. But it was a situation where he needed to tell me the story of what happened and all the people involved, and it, it was a whole crazy thing, whatever. But if I had used that moment to completely overreact, I would have damaged him immensely. And so he was able to tell me things and even confess things and just explain the situation. I was able to just, like, keep driving. And then later on, we talked about it and got through it together. But little things like that, sometimes taking a big, deep breath and being slow to speak and slow to anger are really important. So that's kind of the opposite. That overreacting can be very damaging as well as 
totally denying what your child has done or what they're telling you or telling them, no, 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 honey, that's not what happened at all. And then they think they're crazy. All right. In a safe, secure home, everyone was free to feel different emotions, different emotions. The emotional climate of the home was not controlled by a single person. This is commonly in homes where there's a narcissistic parent. All right, so the climate of the home was not controlled by a single person. I kind of look at this as Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way he should go, then when he's old he should not depart from it, being filled to free different emotions from your sibling. Well, this one might be mad, this one might be sad, this one might be glad. Let me tell you, I had four. They were all born in a different season. They're all four different colors. Well, they were when they were younger, I think. And they're all four just different human beings all together. And we often had all the different emotions happening at once. I had, Pastor and I had a couple sit down with us years and years ago who they were telling us some of the, the issues that were going on with their two kids. And, and they said, and their kids were entering adulthood. And, and they said, Pastor, we just don't understand we did the same thing. We got one. We did the same thing with both of them. We have one over here living a godly life, and this one over here is straying and going crazy and doing all kinds of crazy things. And they said, we don't understand. We did the same thing with both of them. And something popped in my head and went, that was the problem. You cannot do the same thing oftentimes with every child. A child needs to be understood a child needs to know that you know him or her, that you understand their bent or their giftings or their, their emotions. You understand that this child's going to probably react angrily. This child's probably going to start sobbing. This one's going to, you know that child. It's very important in training up your children that you know the way that he should go. And sometimes we have to customize our parenting per child. Yes, I know. This is a big task. Everybody take a deep breath. All right, number seven, a safe, secure home is where your individual development was encouraged and nurtured. Going back to Proverbs 22 and 6, individual development was encouraged and nurtured. Independence was valued. You were not pressured or forced to conform to group think. Number eight, adults were present with you, engaged in play, Nurtured your emotional world regularly. Nurturing your emotional world regularly. As opposed to your emotional world being completely ignored. Um, my dad came from a home that was very much what I might very critically say was emotionless robots. That's terrible. But honestly, while my grandmother was this great lady who had this home that was safe and secure, she also was very emotionless. So, and that's kind of crazy, right? Because you would think, oh, she'd be, oh, honey, and all the things, you know, like the sweet grandma. She wasn't like that at all. What I gleaned from her was that constancy in my life. But I did not have emotional connection with her. But my dad's brother committed suicide when he was like 20 years old. The family never spoke about it once. Never. Never one time. Can you imagine that? Imagine being raised like that with people where they just ignore emotions. We're just going to ignore that. We're not going to talk about that. So it's really crazy. So you've got to be careful on both ends. You really need to nurture 
and um, pay attention to those emotions. All right. Number nine, you were told when you crossed a boundary without damaging your connection with abusive discipline. You did not fear the wrath of a parent. And this lends itself to uh, Dr. James Dobson used to always say that you break a child's will and not his spirit. You don't want to break a child's spirit. That you can be firm without being harsh. Firm and harsh are not the same thing. You can be firm and not harsh. All right, from one more website, and then I'm passing over to Pastor. This was from Guardian.ng. This was, uh, it's some Christian website. I'm not really sure the context of, of what they teach and believe, but of what they believe, but I felt like this article was really good. And they're very bold in how they say this, so I'm just going to read it and let them be bold. <laughs> if y'all want to be mad at me, you can be. I mean, you have to be mad at that, I mean, not me. We will begin by saying that the ideal Christian home, which there again, I said this last week. I'm going to use that word ideal because we're talking about biblical ideal. It exists, and it's okay to strive for that biblical ideal. We will begin by saying that the ideal Christian home is a place where the perfect standard of the life of Jesus Christ is in place. Interesting. Woo, take a deep breath. If the society will be a habitable place for people to live together in peace and harmony, it must begin from a home. If a home produces godly character, the society will be a safe haven for all to live in. We can only have a better society with good character and good conduct coming from a peaceful and loving atmosphere in an ideal Christian home. Hence, without an ideal home, the society can only get worse and be thrown into chaos. Hello. Definitely have seen that. As good children are raised from good homes, so also are the armed robbers, the kidnappers, the drug addicts, the prostitutes, probably raised oftentimes from a bad home. If the home is correct, the society will be correct. Hence, if the home is correct, the church will be as well. This is why it has become pertinent that we correct things from the home front. It all begins right there in the home, a godly home, a Christian family. That's how we change the world right there. All right. Do you know that this place right here, what we're doing here, is about the least reflective of your true Christianity? Wait a minute. What are you saying, brother? Right? I'm here for church. I'm here for religion. I'm here for... Christianity, and so, no, what you do here is, is about the, your conduct and actions here are about the least reflective of your Christianity. Because we can all do it here very well. Bless you. Good to see you. 
How's it going? Who stole a key to my Honda? You tie my tie, I tie your tie. We all, we can, for, for an hour and a half, two hours, we can all put on our game faces. I would say the second, about the second most, the place that is the second most reflective of your true Christianity is, for those of you that are adults, your workplace, for you young people, school. Do you know where the truest reflection of your Christianity is? It's at home. What takes place in your home, whatever the makeup of that home is, even if it's a single person, that is the truest reflection of your Christianity. Because that's where your guard down, your guard is let down the absolute most. That's where you watch whatever you're going to watch, read whatever you're going to read, say whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. And the sad thing is, for many people, for many Christians, what goes on at home is the least of their priorities. And somehow it is excusable to act one way at home and another way at church. Boy, it was, it was felt challenging last week and feels challenging again this evening. It's amazing the stuff that we tolerate in our houses. It's amazing the way we excuse treating family members. So I wanna I wanna as we were and and we you know this is this is being recorded, this is future grow material, so trying to be mindful of that, but we 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 had a basic outline going into these four weeks and we pretty much I think have Blew it out of the water after last week. <laughs> and so as we were feeling along for this evening, over the last week, what what is, I, I don't, obviously it's not the theological term, but often what time, oftentimes what gets referred to as the love chapter. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is, the entire chapter is about love. It is one of the most concise descriptions of the characteristics of what true, genuine love is all about. So I began to think about that in the context of the characteristics and qualities that should be evident in our homes. And so for my part of this session, I'm going to I'm going to take you through 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to just use one translation and the translation that I'm going to use is the passion translation. But I want to I want to 
I want to encourage you to do something, challenge you to do something if you've never done it before. I want to challenge you to take some time to sit down and, and read 1 Corinthians 13 from multiple translations. Because they each kind of have different parts of them that the way they say something is just it's a little more uh, poignant than, than, than others. But I'm not going to be reading, jumping around. I'm, I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to stick with one translation. And uh, you'll see this on the first slide, so I, I just want to make this point to you. Everything uh, that, that you'll see in red this evening is it's in red because it's a, it's a footnote. If you've ever uh, looked at the Passion, a lot of translations have this, but the Passion Translation seems to be quite full of uh, footnotes, and a lot of them are, are uh, very enlightening. They add uh, a lot of information and definitions and understanding to some things. And so, uh, again, as I go through this chapter, the, the reason I put things in red was wasn't necessarily to emphasize them. It was to let you know that that's actually a, a footnote. So this, this first section, as labeled by the Passion Translation, is, is love, the motivation of our lives. Verse number one, If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love. I, I, I got to work really hard to stay focused on the topic here this evening. <laughs> Not the topic, but the context. Paul say, if I, if I can do all these really awesome spiritual things, if I, can, if I can prophesy to people, if I can read people's mail, if I, if I know how to intercede, if, if I know how to do all of these things, is, in essence, is what Paul is saying. But if I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow, sounding, the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging symbol. He's saying... If I don't have love, all that other stuff is worthless. The Greek word here is agape, which describes the highest form of love. It is the love God has for His people. It is an intense affection that must be demonstrated. It is a loyal, endless, and unconditional commitment of love. It is a love that must be demonstrated. I, I, I know people, I have friends, I have good friends that I've been around, and every single time they get off the phone with their wife, they say, they, they say I love you. Or some of them will just love you. I don't have a problem with that. I, respect, I, got, I got no issues with that. I don't do that. We don't do that. The reason I don't do that is because for me, I don't want that just to become a trite, Thing to say, and I'm not saying if you say it every time that that you are, because I don't think vain repetition in Scripture is simply saying the same thing over and over. That's not 
because you can say hallelujah, 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 and it be vain repetition, but you can also say hallelujah a thousand times in a row, but it comes from down deep in your spirit, and there's something that's flowing out of you when you say it. So I don't think vain repetition is just saying the same thing over and over, that that's automatically what it is. It's the attitude and the spirit with which you say it. So if you can, every single phone call you have with your spouse, you can say, I love you, and you mean it, then you keep it up. I'm not saying I couldn't and not mean it, but I just, I don't want it to become just, because the bottom line is if we're not careful, we can say, I love you very easily, but then our actions don't back it up. I would much rather someone demonstrate their love for me by their actions than simply by telling me I love you. For God so loved the world that He told us He loved us. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave. He did something. He demonstrated His love with His actions. So love should be demonstrated. Verse number 2 And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, I jumped ahead of myself a little bit, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. I I think in the context of what Paul is saying goes back to my first point. You can come here and do this, but it'd be just empty actions. So it was interesting as... I was sitting listening to uh, my wife go through her part that, that, that there's some things you're going to hear basically sort of again except straight from Scripture. You know, the Bible is an amazing book. The Bible is an absolutely amazing book. If you will... Put into practice what you hear tonight and what, I'm, what, I'm, what you're going to read from the script. If you would put this into practice, you would have a wonderful family, a wonderful home. Again, we're not, this is not intended to be specific to a husband and wife and kids. The Word of God has all the answers. (laughs) The Word of God has all the answers. I read other books. I like to read other books because I I like to hear other perspectives. And and as I've referenced a number of times over the last several months, I've been reading through a a, a series by F.B. Myers called Classic Portraits. And and man, I, there, there's things, there's verses that he's referenced that I've read before, but, but I didn't, wow, there's a new perspective, there's a different, it's like sitting in uh, English class when I was in college. I read, I read the same poem the night before. I read that poem. 
How in the world we have now spent 45 minutes discussing that poem, I have no idea. Because y'all got all this other stuff out of it. I mean, I now see what you got, but I read it. At the end of the day, everything's got to measure up and line up to what the Word of God says. So I, I'm not against reading other books, and, uh, but, but at the end of the day, the Bible's really all you need. Especially nowadays when you've got variety of translations that are at your fingertips. And, and you know, the King James may be what we go to a lot of times for, for, for consistency and doctrinal things. But I tell you what, you read some of these other translations and they hurt. I know some of them have watered some things down, but others of them have amped some things up. So, verse 4. Love is large and incredibly patient. Or, love patiently endures. We have a typo there. We are talking about the home, so this is within the home. Love. <laughs> love. That's the problem is you can't copy and paste the footnotes. You have to type them. So... I can't even blame. Love patiently endures <laughs> mistreatment. Could mean that love is incredibly patient even in difficult relationships. The Aramaic can be translated love transforms the spirit. I believe the context of love transforming the spirit is both ways. It transformed the spirit of the person that's being difficult because we know it's none of you here that are ever difficult. It's the other people in your house that are the ones that are difficult except most of you are here tonight with the other people in your house. So somebody here is the difficult one. But love not only transforms the difficult one, love transforms the one giving the love. Because if I'm treating you with love, it's going to change how I treat you. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. I know I've heard of I've heard of parents and families where you know if some of you you choose not to celebrate birthdays and whatever for your kids. So be it, or you didn't have yours celebrated, whatever. But we we chose for up until a certain point every year it was usually a birthday party and but i heard of parents where when it's when they got multiple kids that when it's one child's birthday everybody gets a gift all the kids cuz it's the what in the world that is a false reality cuz not everybody's getting the raise in the office not everybody's getting the promotion you got to learn to deal with disappointment. You got to learn to rejoice with those that rejoice, even if you're not the one that's got something to rejoice for. And so love refuses to be jealous when blessings comes to someone else. All you young people with 
siblings in the home, living with brothers or sisters. Love doesn't envy every time things go right for them while it's not going right for you. It rejoices. It celebrates. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. And I got to tell you, I think the person that needs to hear that last part the most is the head of a household, whatever that person may be. If it's a single family, if it's a nuclear family, the head of the household is the one who has a tendency to inflate their own importance. I'm the head of my household, but that doesn't make me more important than the rest of them in the house. That doesn't make me the king of the jungle. Love does not inflate itself. I, 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 you know, my wife gets frustrated with me sometimes. And, and again, I, I, you know, I, I apologize to my kids for this, but I lived it. It just, it's, 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 it, it's just what goes with it. And there's blessings that go with it as well. But, you know, she, sometimes she gets a little upset with me because I'm not, I'm not making my boy. You, you ought to make them. Make them learn, make them do. And, and sometimes she, she probably is right, but other times the reason is because at some point in the future, I'm expecting them to be in my position. And I don't want them to become a husband or a dad that just sits around giving out orders all the time. I want them to think back, man, I, my, my dad, my dad, I know how to wash dishes. I'm a pretty good dishwasher loader. I tried to pass the torch completely of taking the trash out years ago, and that hadn't quite succeeded. We, we, it, I've said it's so. It's amazing. You'll you'll amen me when I tell you that just because I'm the pastor, that doesn't make me any more important than you. You'll amen me with that here. But will you amen me that you are not the most important person in your household? Mm. This is what love does. If I got to tell oh, as I read, especially reading through this Passion Translation, preparing for tonight, if every, if every home whatever the dynamic, whatever the makeup of the home, if every home would take these verses home with you and strive to live these verses in your household, I would never need to set up a marriage counseling appointment, a parenting, I would never have to do that. That's the ideal. Just this single chapter single chapter verse number five love man get get ready love does not traffic in shame and disrespect you don't mean that means you don't use shame or disrespect to get your way to manipulate those in the household Shame, according to Webster's, is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. It is the susceptibility to such emotion. It's a condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute. 
I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. I'm going to need some water to water a few of these down. Here we go. Are you, look, look at this. Look at this. Love is not easily irritated. Or overly sensitive, having sharp edges. You know, we all go through stuff. We all have bad days. But if the consistent makeup of those uh, uh, for your for your home situation is everybody's always walking on eggshells around you, there's a problem. Love is not easily irritated. It's not overly sensitive. Emerson Egrich, the author of Love and Respect, says spouses, but apply it beyond spouses. People don't wake up every morning, especially with regards to those that they love, they don't wake up every morning thinking, how can I do something? What can I do today to offend my wife? What can I do today to hurt my kids? We don't do that. Do we hurt our spouses? Do we hurt our kids? Do we? If absolutely we do because we're, a, we're human beings. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why we need to ask for forgiveness. That should not be the consistent pattern. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense or resentful, or does not keep score. And we tried. Again, I know at the risk of being, you know, apologetic, whatever, we, we, are, we are trying so hard to be mindful again that this is a broad, and I, I thought my wife said it so wonderfully this evening, last week, but this evening especially. We're trying to be mindful of where everybody is. So... Forgive us if we end up getting narrowed down sometimes and then broadening again. And we, we tried every system possible through the years for, for whose turn it was to empty the dishwasher, whose turn it was to do the, oh my, we had things in the cabinet that you flipped. And we went through this phase of if you didn't flip it, that's on you. It's still your turn. And then we went through phase of being Christian and godly that even if you didn't flip it and you did it, then I'm going to do, oh my word. Love doesn't keep score. I should have read these verses Fifteen years ago. The Aramaic can be translated love shoes. Love does not stare at evil. Man. Love will overlook typos. <laughs> Love, love, love will overlook offenses 
and remain focused on what is good, refusing to hold resentment in our hearts. Let it go. Let it go. Quit rehearsing the past every time there's a new mistake. Let it go. What in the world would you and I, where would we be if every time we went to prayer, God went back over all of our stuff? We'd never leave and we'd never say anything because it would be all Him talking. Man, I'm gonna. I, I, I'm. I, hopefully, I didn't open the wrong door a couple of nights ago when I was teaching. But I, I'm gonna tell you, this is this this tonight for me. This is some of the best teaching I've ever done in 30 years of ministry. And nobody running the aisles. I ain't getting much help. But I'm telling you tonight, this is absolutely some of the most critical, important thing I have ever taught. And some of you just got it on cruise control, checked out, trying to remember we got people in the future that won't be here tonight. (laughs) I used to say it throughout my years of teaching chapel at Antioch Christian School. I'd say it, what I said tonight, I'd basically say it every now and then. I don't care what you do here in chapel. In one context, I do care, but in, in the right, I don't care. I don't care if you weep and cry and sing and pray. If you go out of here and 30 minutes from now, you're cussing out some kid, disrespecting your teacher. That, this is all, and if we're not careful, We pat ourselves on the back because we know how to prophesy and we know how to speak in tongues and we know how to do all these spiritual gifts and we've got households that are in disrepair. We've got families. It pains me to say this. We've got families that are are on the verge of collapse. And you never guess who some of them are. I don't want everybody. Am I going in and out? Is that? I, I I don't want to say this and come here Sunday night and everybody just sits down with your arms folded and doesn't move. But just because just because they're all demonstrative and yelling and hollering and running, that that don't let that. It, 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 it doesn't keep score. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Joyfully celebrates honesty. Joyfully. We, we, need, we need homes that have an atmosphere. It was already touched on. Homes where honesty can be a place where you feel safe to be honest. Many of you have heard 
If there's, I'd be shocked if there's an adult that hasn't. How many of you have heard Bishop tell his story about being molested as a child? And 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 the the response of his mother. I can't tell you how many times in uh, twenty plus years of parenting, in a split second. That has popped into mind when my kids have divulged. I I know they all look perfect. I know they appear when they you see them here. They all seem to be. But they're all four humans, and 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 I would, by the grace of God, in that moment. I would remember and by the help of the Lord do everything I could to suppress the look on my face, my emotions, my words. Because I didn't want to create an atmosphere where, man, the last thing I'm going to do is tell my dad the truth. Where would you and I be if that's the way our heavenly father reacted to us if every time we were honest about our mess-ups, he just lost his mind. Love joyfully celebrates honesty. And I'm going to tell you, again, this is not a parenting seminar, but I'm going to tell you, parents, I believe, and I believe I have biblical basis to back this up, discipline should be affected by the honesty and the attitude and the spirit. If you do the same thing every single time, no matter what, you didn't learn that from him. Because the bottom line is, if he were to treat me the same way over every mistake, regardless of my attitude and spirit, I'd be hopeless. Don't forget, last week, for this cause. Because it's not just about what we're doing here, being a testimony and a witness to them out there. It's about every father striving to be an example to his kids of the Heavenly Father, and every mother striving to be an example of what the church is supposed to be. Verse number seven, love is a safe place of shelter, or love bears all things. Although commonly understood to mean that love can bear hardships of any kind, the nominalized form of the verb, this is so awesome, the nominalized form of the verb is actually the word for roof found in Mark 2.4. Mark 2.4 is when the man that was sick of the palsy, when they went up on the roof and tore the roof off. 
that this word cover here, or, or shelter, is the same as the word roof. Paul is saying that love covers all things, like a roof covers the house. Love does not focus on what is wrong, but will bear with the shortcomings of others. And like a roof protects and shields, you could say that love springs no leak. It is a safe place that offers shelter, not exposure. If we could strive to have what I'm reading to you tonight in our homes, and if we could strive to have this in this congregation... It covers. Love doesn't reveal. Love doesn't expose. Love covers. It it doesn't cover in the sense of denial. I'm pretty sure she already knows this, but but I've had things that, that my kids have shared with me, struggles or things they've done or been through in the past that they've told me that I've never even told my wife. There's a difference between my motive for doing that and other motives for not telling a spouse. Love covers. Love doesn't look to expose. Love looks to cover. If you're a parent and you've you got multiple kids and one makes a mistake and you're blabbing it to all of them, that's not love. For it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. When everybody else in the world gives up on somebody, a mom is usually still hanging on. I know, I believe, I have hope, I have faith. And if you reach the point where your parents have given up on you, that's a tough place to be if you don't have others. Because when everybody else loses hope in you, loses faith in you, usually you can count on a parent. Love never stops loving. Love never stops loving. Or love never, not even once, fails or lapses. Or love never falls down. It keeps going higher. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than tongues which will one day, still, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial. But when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke, as a chi- I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when, a, when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. I, I, there, there's something in here I've, I, I missed. I've got to find it. It, 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 somewhere in here, if you see it, help me out. It, somewhere in here, it, just, it basically says 
I remember correctly, it, it just simply says love, love is not rude. Anybody see that in there somewhere? I know it was in there. It's in there. I'm pretty sure it's in there. Love is, love is, it's not rude. You know who we often treat the rudest? Not the people at church, for sure. Not the people at work. Oftentimes we can be the rudest to the people we are the closest to. I, this, this, is, this is a little bit of an extreme example of this, and I'm not because we've all struggled with this, but, you know, one second, you're, you kids better get down here, right? I told you three hours ago to clean up this mess. You better get in the, hello? Oh, yeah, oh, I'm great, yes. yes. Oh, the, oh, the kids are wonderful. Yeah, their kids are great. Uh, okay, well, right, I told you. Most of us have done it. All the kids are like. Yeah, I'm not. We're all we're all humans. We're all. But why in the world we treat everybody else with kindness, respect? My wife said it. People talk to their kids ways you'd never talk to another adult. What what excuse is that? What excuse is there for that? I know, boy, it'd be a lot more fun talking about angels and gifts and Our present knowledge, our prophecies are but partial. But when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we will see face to face. My understanding is incomplete now. But one day I will understand everything just as everything about me has been fully understood. I think that rude part's coming up in just a second. I just remembered. (laughs) Until then, there are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. Love surpasses them all. When my faith and my hope waver, it's love that stabilizes. Faith and hope, offspring from love, which makes love the greatest virtue of all. Faith and hope are temporary, but love is eternal. Paul gives us ten characteristics of divine love in this chapter. If you're taking notes, 
digitally, pen and paper, get ready, because you can concisely summarize basically everything I've said in this. These are the ten characteristics that Paul has given us in this chapter. And you know what? I, I would challenge you to write these down, put them up someplace in your house, in your office, somewhere where you can constantly be reminded of them. Love, number one, is patient under stress. Number two, it is kind at all times. Number three, it is generous, not envious. Number four, it is humble or humble, depending on if it's Bishop or Brother Whaley. It is humble, or if you're a bishop's son, not self-promoting. Number five, it is never rude. It is never rude. I think it's my wife that does it, maybe the kids too, but sometimes somebody, most more so when it's being done facetiously, they'll go, rude. Love is never rude. Love is never rude. When I go to get the cream for my coffee and we're out of cream, love is not supposed to be rude. When he forgot to take the trash out, love is not rude. I'm just touching on the safe ones. You say, Brother Wright, what in the world are you getting? Because it's these little things that I find we just sort of brush under the rug. They're not that big of a deal. They really are. Paul said, I travail like a mother in childbirth. I travail that Christ would be fully formed in you. Meaning every area of your life to be impacted by him. Number six, it does not manipulate by using shame. Number seven, it is not irritable or easily offended. Number eight, it celebrates honesty. Number nine, it does not focus on what is flawed. It does not focus on what is flawed. Don't forget the person you look at in the mirror every day has got just as much flaws as all the others you look at throughout the day. Number 10, it is loyal to the end. It is loyal to the end. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. I 
thought my wife was going to say it at one point, and she she didn't. But we 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 both she she has she says all kinds of stuff that I think or feel the same way. I just never say that I do. I hold my card very close to my chest. But this this week at the funeral of Brother Cisco. Wow. I left trying to choose to be challenged (laughs) because part of the reaction, which is what the enemy wants our reaction to be, is to be overwhelmed. Wow, I'm a failure. I just, I might as well give up. I might as well quit. The bottom line is, as long as I'm still living, I have room to grow, to improve. You know what one of the beautiful things about living is? Most of us, for the most part, we, have, we basically have short-term memory. I know some have gone through, and many of you here tonight have gone through some things at some point in your life that was a very major tragic moment, and you and you can remember that. But there's there's most of what we go through on a regular daily basis. We get a few days away from it, and it just kind of fades away. We didn't the the first couple years of. <laughs> Of having kids, we 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 didn't have hardly any money, and any trips we ever went on was because of the generosity and the kindness of my parents. <laughs> we didn't start taking. I think the first time we really took our own family vacation was our trip out west. And there's part of me that was kind of grieved and embarrassed by that, but then there was another part of me that, yes, Lord. There was another part that made some peace with the fact that if I'd have took them to Disney World at nine months old, they probably would that have been more about my pride's sake than their memory's sake. And and I say all that to say, again, especially for those of us that are in some later seasons. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. Meaning, there's still room to grow and improve. To overcome some shortcomings and failures and mistakes. To become everything that God intends for you to be. Whether you're a nuclear family, and again, hopefully you're not a family that just goes nuclear, as we heard last week. If you're a single parent family, if you're a single person living alone, I believe we all have the potential of creating atmospheres where we live that any person and every person that walks in is able to sense peace, 
love, safety. So I challenge you as I close this session this evening. Let's do like Paul said. And forget those things which are behind. And press towards the mark. There's no such thing as perfect people. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. No such thing as perfect parents. I do believe if there was such a thing, I lived and grew up with a marriage and parents that were about as close to it, I think, as you could get. But it's been, it's been one of the biggest blessings and rewards of my life for 30 years because you have every right to expect me to be a good husband. You have every right to expect me to be a good dad. You have every right to expect one day for me to be a good granddad. What a day that will be. I'm just going to tell you, all I work so hard to keep all of that suppressed. But every now and then I got a little, little slip out, so all of you know, I actually do. Sorry. My apologies. Back to the point. You, you really, I, I mean it, you have, the, you have a right to expect all of that out. I don't have an excuse. But having watched for 30 years someone who came from brokenness and all kinds of difficulties and challenges, mistreatment, heartaches, pain, thankfully both her mom, before she passed, ended up in church, so both parents ended up in the right place. But watching the wife and the mother that my wife has become, that tells me, doesn't matter where you've come from, doesn't matter what you've been through, with God, all things are possible. Father, I thank you for this precious group of people, those that are present and those I know that are watching this evening, and for all of those in the future who are looking to grow and develop in you that will be watching. I thank you for them, God. And I thank you for every heart that has the desire that whatever the circumstances are, whatever the dynamics of the household may be, that there's a desire for every home to be a reflection of godly characteristics, traits, qualities. I pray that by your grace you would help us. God, every hurt, every pain that so many have lived through in their families of origin, I pray that you would bring them healing and wholeness from that, but give them hope and faith in a future. God, I pray that you would take the words. I know there's things from Genesis to Revelation that apply, but I pray that just simply the words that have been spoken here tonight and in my part of this this evening 
just this one chapter, Lord, that somehow this would become the thing that we would strive for in every household, every family. Lord, if we can get that in every home, then we'll have that in this congregation. If that's the way we can live at home, that's the way we're going to live here. And then when more people, new people are grafted into this body, that's the atmosphere they're going to be brought into. So help us. Give us faith, give us hope, give us courage. Forgive us for the mistakes and the failures of the past, but your blood covers all of that so we can look forward to our future with hope and anticipation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.